and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Each week we're talking through those big property issues of the week and my word what a week it's been for stories and we'll chat of course from time to time to a variety of property professionals so get involved in the conversation below wherever you're watching us today and also of course we have a new email address hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk and you can watch Property Matters at any time on our new website www.propertymatterstv.co.uk Don't forget, of course, if you'd like to consume the show as a podcast on the screen now, you can find the eight different platforms where um, we can uh, get the podcast from. And I'll be testing Joe very shortly as to what each one of those is, because I'm sure he's well up on all of that. Um, And you can get the podcast as a recording at 10 o'clock every Monday morning. So good morning to Joe. Test, test. What a testing week it's been for our man this week. Um, It's just another week. It's just another week, as they say, but another week of exciting. But of course, you know, it all relates to property and property matters. That's why we do what we do uh, every Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, please do get involved. And I'm sure, Paul, you've got an absolute barrage of interesting things that you want to throw at me this morning. And we'll come on to that story in a minute because everyone would expect us to go straight in with that. But there's been a lot of talk about that. But we'll come on to how it relates to the property sector in a minute. But the first story, which came up earlier in the week, which I thought was a really interesting one and worth being our main story of the week, Joe, which was the government was, <laughs> and maybe in the future will be considering, 50-year mortgages that children can inherit. So this is a, a plan for a 50-year deal that can be passed between generations in a bid to stimulate housing demand and help more people to get on the ladder, of course. It's a Japanese-style system uh, with longer lending arrangements to see people being able to buy a home with little or no expectation of completing the mortgage repayments during their lifetime. But instead, the property and outstanding debt will be passed on to their children. Now, that's quite an interesting prospect. And you kind of, on the face of it, think to yourself, Joe, well, why has this not been done before? Because it seems like you can pass the asset on. But can you see any problems with this kind of thing? Yes, it's a very interesting subject, Paul, and um, thanks for bringing it up there. But I, I think there are a couple of things that we should sort of bear in mind. First and foremost is that um, it takes out a generation of renters, I suppose, because it gives them the opportunity to step on the property ladder. And though there is a lifetime or a 50-year-plus mortgage that you think that you will never repay, at least you feel that you own something. And that's been the, the, the difference between, as I always say, between a home and a house, and the difference between here uh, of owning and renting is divided by this type of thing where people don't get the opportunity to step on the first run of the property ladder. This may be a interesting solution where uh, perhaps 100% mortgages come back into play, um, the asset becomes part of the ownership of the people that put the mortgage, uh, take the mortgage on. It means that they're actually putting some energy and money into, um, or as we would say, skin in the game, into the property that they are going to be living in, albeit that they may probably never ultimately own it. But what they do have is skin in the game. So if they want to have alterations, they want to have refinancing, they want to use it as some sort of security collateral, they've got something there to offer. Whereas if you are a generation of renters, um, then basically what's going to happen is that you will always line the pockets of perhaps the landlords and not have the chance to do all those things. So it has its minuses and pluses in my mind. 
um, immediately thinking about it. Of course, we it's a great idea, but uh, it's an idea that I'm not sure where it will go over the next um, month or so, uh, whether it will be finding its roots. But certainly it has some foundation in my mind about another way of people. The main thing here is, Paul, that um, you have to remember that most people's wish and want is one day to own their own home. And if I go back the 40 plus years of, of doing property, the day when people started writing mortgages at the time, nobody actually ever stopped and asked us, um, you know, what the uh, longevity or what the issues were. They just wanted to know what the payments were. Um, can I borrow it? And where do I sign? Um, primarily, the ultimate end goal for them was always that this means I've got a chance of owning my property as opposed to going down the road and saying, well, I've got to give a six week, 10 weeks deposit to somebody, four weeks deposit, and then forever going to be renting. So there is, there is that sort of comparable to take on board. And I think with this kind of thing, which is, what, 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 the, what is being said here is that they're looking at other ways when um, it, the, the conventional way of a 20, 25 year interest only, repayment only mortgage that is based on income calculation or affordability, as they would say now, whether somebody could afford it. And there is the issue of affordability. The ordinary person who may not be able to get it, but if you're a doctor or a dentist or a, or a professional of any sort, you know, your, your ability to be able to pay the higher multiples is obviously much higher. And that then leaves other people out of the thing. So I, I think there's some, some good points here that could work, but uh, watch this space, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it would pretty much destroy the rental market, I would have thought, because if you, you know, you take a repayment mortgage of 30 years and then you put another 20 on that, you're almost halving effectively the, the mortgage payment surely per month. So it becomes, it'll become vastly more cheaper than renting, even though renting is probably slightly more cheaper than, uh, sorry, uh, buying a property is slightly more cheaper per month than renting. That's going to dramatically change the situation. Of course, the other thing on that, Joe, is that um, if there's more people able to qualify to get a mortgage, then the competition for too little stock is going to be even greater, which, of course, is going to fuel the house prices even more. Yes, and considering we're way behind meeting any targets of building for what we are needing at this moment in time, you know, um, they're, they're not building them fast enough um, at, at the moment. So therefore, supply and demand will always kick in. Um, the supply will be somewhat limited. The demand will become very greater. And subsequently, that will put prices up. Actually, that means even more interest why people want to buy because they actually see the end benefit, the end result and things like that. They see that, you know, they bought X now. What is it worth in 10 years time if they were part of the owner, if they were if they a joint ownership, a co-ownership with a bank, a building society and themselves, then they've got some skin in the game. They've got, they've got some um, equity being built and they've got to turn around and say, well, actually, I, you know, it's worth me doing that because I've got something to to gain at the end of it, even if it's just the capital return on the value of the property at the time, because they're living in it. So they're not worried about the actual uh, yield return because, you know, it's a mortgage that they're paying and, and they're own, benefiting for owning the home and subsequently have, and having the enjoyment of that. But when it comes to actual capital return, 10 years down the road, let's say it's, it's bought at 100,000 now, but and it was sold, was sold for 150,000, there's 50,000 pounds uplift that they would not have if they were in the rental rental game. So yes, house prices will uh, get stimulated very, very quickly on that.
So the other couple of things that they're talking about, and these are interesting as well, 30-year fixed rate home loan. Now, 30-year fixed rate, so that's basically pretty much the lifetime of the, of the mortgage fixed at a certain rate, whatever happens in the economic world, which is an interesting concept as well. Yes, again, if you, if you look back, every five, six years, there are, uh, are actually um, rates that have been offered to existing uh, mortgage holders. Um, I must say at this point that we are not um, mortgage advisors or, or are licensed to say anything. This is purely an opinion uh, to make sure that um, people understand the layman's view on this. But my view on that is that basically every five years, um, you find that uh, you know if you've got a fixed rate with your existing lender, the chances are they're going to offer you a further fixed rate, perhaps maybe a, a point or two higher, perhaps even maybe a point or two lower, depending on what the market's done. So what what they're saying by offering it for thirty years is probably drawing a simple straight line and saying instead of coming back to you every five years, we'll just fix it for that period, and you know exactly what your payments are going to be month in, month out, year in, year out for the next 30 years. The only thing with that is obviously, if it's an interest only, you're never gonna pay the debt off because it's, you know, but if it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a repayment uh, and fixed, then I think there's some, some energy in that because you know, if you know what you're gonna pay for the next 30 years, and at the end of the 30 years, you, you, you're gonna own the property and you've cleared up your debt, and you've not had any ups and downs in life other than your normal life, apart from the mortgage world, then I think it's a great idea, but it's just a case of what fits and one, one, one size doesn't fit all as, as we know. So it's the case of working together and saying like this, this, this product or this situation makes life easier for me and it can work. Of course, it's only going to be available for the younger generation because, you know, at my point, I'm sort of past myself by day now. So the chances of, of, of having, having a 30 year, 30 year fixed rate is, um, well, I'll be expired before that is actually expired itself. So, uh, you know, I don't think it will be, but certainly my children have got a chance. It's interesting what some critics are saying of this scheme is saying that the government's coming at it from the wrong angle. It's not the mortgage market that is preventing people from becoming homeowners. It's the cost of the property in relation to people's earnings. So it doesn't matter what you do. If people can't afford the house price in the first place, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and there comes my often um, sort of dilemma, which I've said time and time again, in my view, that if the government had provided alternative investment opportunities, alternative ways where people can you know, um, earn more interest on their savings, um, earn, but have the scope of earning more money through other schemes, then I think the pressure on the property market would not be as high as it is. But because there is no other um, mechanism, no other solution, everyone's desire, nine times out of 10 people, if you stand anywhere, ask 10 people, nine of them will say they want to own a property. Um, and that's because it has several reasons for it. We've discussed many a times. One of them is that, you know, they actually own it. And so they can actually touch it, feel it and see it and say, okay, well, that's mine. Number one. Number two, of course, there's chances are if this kind of situation happens, they're going to increase the value and subsequently have some more stake in it. They're going to have an equity in it, which actually means that they've actually made some money by, by through using that process. But if there was an alternative, an alternative, that offered certain um, groups that would probably not be interested in going out and just buying one to rent out, then yes, there will be more fluid, there will be more uh, availability in those properties, especially those first time buyer properties opportunities 
for the younger generation to step on. Um, and the reason why there isn't much there is because the older generation who have the funds end up saying, well, I'll buy that and I'll rent it out to somebody else because it means that I'm actually going to lie in my pocket by increasing the, res uh, the yield return on my money that is sitting in the bank. So, you know, it's, it's never the twain shall meet situation, but um, you never know, as they say, you watch this space, you, you know, somebody else who comes up with a, a leveling up job might level it in the right way. It is interesting, I suppose, it has to be said that it's good that, that it's being looked at and the alternatives are being considered because it's been like this and it's been broken for so long. I suppose the industry is up in arms about it because it doesn't like change. The question is, you know, is it broken for so long? Uh, if it wasn't broken, then nobody's bothered to fix it. And that's part, part of the issue. The problem has become now that um, the world has become much smaller, um, income levels are much higher, technology is paying different monies, and so therefore people are sort of the younger generation saying, well, actually, I want to get on the property ladder. Some can, some can't. Some circumstances are not going to be possible to do. And so there is this opportunity now of considering alternative methods that allows other people, people that may not be fortunate enough to be able to earn a six-figure salary in some cases, to be able to sort of say, okay, well, collectively, as a joint couple maybe, or three or four people, because, you know, mortgages can be taken uh, up to four people, to the best of my knowledge, but our man Bob Singh is, um, you know, doing a delivery service today, so he can't, he can't join us. And, um, and so uh, otherwise he would be able to sort of confirm that I think it's certainly four people minimum, maybe even more as a, as a family that can join on one mortgage application to do that. The only problem with that part is I think that you then exclude yourself being independent through a first time or another property. So, you know, take advice um, and, um, and make sure that that works the right way for you. We should keep an eye on that story, Joe, I'm sure, because it's an interesting one and who knows where that will go. Now then, the big story of the week is levelling up in limbo. That's the question we're asking today, is levelling up in limbo. A week, of course, of unprecedented chaos in Downing Street, which saw a flurry of government resignations, the sacking of the housing and levelling up Secretary Michael Gove, and of course the eventual resignation of the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. After more than 50 resignations, Greg Clark replaces Gove to lead the Department of Levelling Up, housing and communities. Gove's departure follows the resignation of housing minister Stuart Andrew, who'd only been in the role since February. Andrew's departure means the, departure, the department has lost its 11th housing minister, Joe, in 12 years. And Stuart Andrew is replaced by Marcus Jones, hope you're keeping up with this, who is the 21st housing minister since 1997. So 11 housing ministers in 12 years, 21 since 1997. So the question is, of course, what's going to happen? We've had the Renters Reform Bill, which we discussed a few weeks ago, Joe, uh, all kinds of, um, of, 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 of change in that. Also, of course, there is the other situation whereby we're talking about the, um, uh, the cladding situation. Gove has really put his mark on the cladding um, uh, debate and got a resolution for that. What's going to happen? Is that going to go into limbo as well? So a lot of people asking some, some very nervous questions. I think the sacking of Mr. Gove was probably a personal issue between the two of them in, in the first instance. Um, and uh, yeah, it's left us all in a bit of a limbo across the board with the, the actions of the government of the day. However, 
you know, like we say, even a second in a day can make a difference. Here's a week and you watch this space over the next two weeks. So I'm, I'm sure we'll find that thing. And if Paul's if Gove decides not to stand up for the prime minister, I'm sure he'll be back as the leveling up um, guy for whoever comes in. Um, because he started uh, a job that uh, was beginning to sort of make some, some headway and there was some understanding, though not all favourable to landlords, especially with the section, abolition of the Section 21 um, notice and, and, and bringing in maybe a Section 8. Um, that is, that's, the jury is still out on that particular one. But broadly speaking, um, you know, especially with uh, the cladding issue, that was very, very important. That, that was hurting a lot of uh, homeowners uh, that had bought in good faith um, and ending up having to sort of foot the bill for um, the cladding that was probably substandard and, and uh, fire risk um, for people that were living in there. So that was quite important and Gove did a good job in trying to get that back in, onto some sort of track. Um, you know, and, and I, I get it, I get the point that there's going to be uh, uncertainty for a while. But then, you know, we wouldn't be who we are. It's the way it works. But what's interesting for me to see is that how much of all of this affects the property industry, because it's the driver. And um, the property industry is the driver for the eco eco economics of this country. People want to own their own home. They, they want to have the right to be able to do the changes that they want to do to it. Um, and I think you know, the government will come in, the, right, the next set of government will come in and probably continue on the good work that I believe, and I know that there is a lot of people that will be probably not in, uh, in, in, in line with me, of the actions that obviously um, the, the Boris government did towards the housing or the development section, because you have to remember throughout the pandemic, um, one thing that was definitely still positive was the actual property market. And, you know, in any crisis throughout, uh, throughout generation from the world wars downwards, if, if anything's gone wrong, what you do is you build your way out. And that's the policy that was really adopted. Um, when, when things go down, you have to start building your way out. And of course, that's exactly what they did in terms of um, Boris and his team. And over the last two years, two and a half years of, of the pandemic, we saw that the housing market and the property market and the movement and the structure and all the market, all the all the um, businesses that are related to the property market all did well and actually sustained. And I would say to such a point that I think, you know, we have short memories of the good things as opposed to all the bad things. But then, of course, bad news sells better than good news. We know that. Some see it as a resetting of the relationship now that Gove has gone between the uh, development industry and the government. Others are thinking it's, um, it needs to continue as it was with either Gove or someone doing Gove's work for him. Uh, everyone seems to agree that it's just going to go into limbo until we have a new prime minister who's going to have their own agenda of what they want doing. And of course, will Gove be the right personnel fit for whoever is the person that takes the top job? So there's a lot of people with a lot riding on this, I guess. And uh, whilst a lot of landlords were angered by the fact that we were going to lose the Section 21, as you say, and so on, um, there, there is a suggestion that actually um, they ought to carry on with the same policy. Certainly the, the housing charities really feel that they got to Gove through and Boris by getting their agenda in saying, look, look at all these poor people that are being abused by a few rogue landlords. 
The property industry seems to take the opposite view, which is they're just a small part of the problem. Yes, that needs regulation, but you can't treat everyone with the same hard um, legislation. Unless someone, you know, completely outsider comes into play to take on the next role, um, we will get a continuation of the uh, work that is in hand, but with some twists of personal views just to make sure that they put their own personal mark on saying, well, actually, I didn't agree with this, what Boris said, but I agreed with this, and, and therefore we're going to change this bit to make sure that now it's, it's not a Boris thing, it's a whoever uh, the next prime minister is going to be. It's their bit. Because the foundations that they were running on and working on in terms of that were, for the property market, to broadly speaking, were, were on track. Uh, primarily because it is the biggest thing that people like about this country. They like the property aspect of it. Um, it's what people want to always do. I mean, everywhere I go, um, nine times out of ten people immediately, when they know that I'm related or in, in, into the property, straight away come in and say, you know, where do I buy? What do I? I mean, there's never, there's not even a, 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 a small a pause in their thought, oh, well, you know, let's talk about something else. It's straight into that subject because they know it's a very, very important prime subject, not just because I'm involved in it, but because it's what they want to hear, want to talk about <coughs> and get a view on and so forth. Looking at the cladding campaigners, obviously they're very worried that the, the work that's been done will uh, be sort of um, put on hold. And a lot of people saying that whilst um, the, the solution that he got was no means ideal, uh, with a number of groups remaining and action on the ground still insufficient, uh, they have moved significantly further forward to ending the whole uh, nightmare of the last five years. So um, there's an urge or, or a, um, a real desire to have the next Prime Minister reappoint Gove into the same role. Do you think that's going to be likely, Joe? Well, I, I, th I think it's very highly likely um, because I think uh, this whole instigation was done by uh, Mr Gove, uh, in all honesty. Uh, it's an old battle that the, the two have been fighting from the day they uh, started working on Brexit and, and parted with the company originally. Then they fought between each other to find out who's going to be prime minister. And I just think it's been an ongoing little niggle at the background um, where now Gove's kind of got his own way. Uh, and if he doesn't stand up for prime minister, then whoever becomes prime minister will be probably foolhardy not to point Gove back in. And unless he's already done a deal, that I'll go back in and do the same job because I like levelling up. Um, but, um, you know, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, you, you just don't know where it's going to go. And it's, it's, a, it's a case of watch this space all week, I suppose, um, and see who's coming in. Apparently there are eight, as of this morning's news, eight candidates running to for the top job. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where and who actually comes in and where Mr Go lands for his levelling up job. Mr Gove has definitely been listening to the, the housing groups and the tenant groups in particular, isn't it? I mean, he titled his paper A Fairer Private Rented Sector, which was basically talking about the decent home standard, abolition of Section 21, reforming grounds for possession and strengthening of enforcement powers of local councils. Polly Neat, who's the chief executive of Charity Shelter, said the housing emergency isn't going anywhere. Even while there is chaos in government, millions of voters don't have a decent, secure place to live. With the recent introduction of the Renters' Reform Bill, better social housing regulation and the push for more social housing under Michael Gove, government policy is finally going in the right direction. If you uh, 
contrast that with the social housing campaigner, Quajo Twembo. He says that uh, for Boris to go ahead and fire Michael Gove, especially with the state of the housing in biggest crisis I've ever seen in my lifetime, and that many have, I've seen that many in my lifetime, it's an absolute kick in the teeth. His own selfish needs have been put in front of the needs of social housing tenants, says, uh, says this chap. That's an interesting point. Did Boris cause all of this by being selfish or egotistical? Because, you know, at the end of the day, with 59 people gone from the government, the wheels aren't turning. There's two sides to every story, isn't there? Um, and, um, you know, the, the one that sells the best papers, the best news is always going to be the one that says that Boris did this as a self-gain self, self gain and so forth. But uh, I, I have to say, even though I've, I've been a fan of Boris, is just being, you know, honest and clear about this, is that these people have forgotten some of the other good things that he had to do when we had the crisis, but they are only remembering obviously some of the bad things that he does. And so as far as I'm concerned, it's done. He's, he's moved on um, and we've got to find the, the new uh, person that's going to come in and come on board. The situation between Gove and, and Boris is, I think, a personal one. And uh, whilst everybody else resigned, you know, Boris made sure he had the privilege of firing Gove as opposed to him allowing him to be even resigned. He just didn't want him to have that privilege to do that. And I think that was probably a personal thing. And that's probably a bit of a you know, school, school playground, tip for tat type of situation that happened between the two of them. But it's been going on. If we watch back last two, three, four years, whenever they got together, it's been an ongoing thing. And, um, you know, it, it makes, uh, it's, it's probably better than Love Island in some cases, I suppose. Um, because you know what, what, what's going on, but uh, not that I watch Love Island, but it's an, ex ex an exaggeration of the kind of, you know, reality TV that is, is been been, uh, been put together in front of us. But, you know, it, from my point of view, it's the pro property market, the property matters, that really matters to me. And, and, and I can see that we've, we've had a good run in the, in, in the property industry and we will have a continuing good run um, because it is a driver in the econ econ economics of the country and of more so in the, in the hearts of the people because everybody ultimately wishes to buy or own their own home in the long run. I suppose you've got a feel for the government in some respects because whichever way it decides to go, it, there's going to be a potential issue because with people not agreeing with what you're doing. So you've got the charities on one side saying at last housing policy is going in the right direction. If I read you this quote here from, from, from another commentator, on the one hand, the demise of Boris Johnson is a positive thing for us in the housing industry in that it will rid us of the Johnsonian agenda that includes bashing landlords relentlessly and has allowed Michael Gove free reign to spout nonsensical rubbish around misguided planning reform and the empowerment of NIMBYs in the planning process. The sham this shambles of the government has not been on the side of the property industry. Now, those are pretty strong words, and I wonder what your thoughts are, whether you thought uh, Boris Johnson's policy in terms of housing was in favour of the industry or in favour of the, the renter and the purchaser. I'd like to say that it was uh, primarily uh, in favour of the industry. Um, and yes, the situation with the renter, I think, was taken to an extreme, which is, uh, and I voiced my thoughts on that in, uh, in our previous programme, where I think that the, uh, the sledgehammer to sort of crack a nut uh, with the abolition of the Section 21 notice is what, what it was, where I think it could be a Section 21A notice that allowed 
um, certain variations to that particular notice, giving a tenants perhaps a little bit more right than than actually making it completely up to them and not to the, to the landlord. What you have to bear in mind, Paul, at the end of the day is without any landlord and without any investors, there is nothing for the tenants. So, you know, they need to sort of also wake up and smell the coffee that, you know, if they're going to continue to fight that, there will come a time where landlords could actually turn around and start to buy property and just leave it there. If they got enough money and deposit in their account to buy a property and they just lived off the back of the um, capital return by, by actually, you know, locking in every property that was coming up for sale, to, the renters will actually lose and the first time buyers will lose. First time buyers will lose because, you know, obviously there's a reduction of what is available and the landlord could just buy it and hoard it and just leave it there um, and say to them, okay, well, you know, if, if, the, if, I, if by renting it out, I'm going to have all these problems with ten, tenants, do I want to go take that trouble? On the other hand, as we have covered before, uh, as long as they cover their costs, and that could happen through things like Airbnb and other short-term rental and other ways of, of, of dealing with that, they may take those other routes. So whilst landlords are important, you can't, um, you can't turn around and say tenants are as important. Tenants could easily start to lose out by making too much of a fuss. Because if I was a landlord and I had all this stuff to deal with for, from, from tenants, it'd probably come to a point where you think, you know what, it's not actually worth getting involved with these tenants. They're nothing but a nuisance. They want this, they want that, they want this. And, and so subsequently you start to say to yourself, well, maybe it's just better that I don't get involved in that. Now that means people don't buy those properties. If they're not bought, then the tenants are not going to have enough rental properties to be able to have the choice to go and rent. So it's a chicken and egg, what comes first situation, really. You need both. You need the landlords and the investors to go out and buy those properties. And of course, you need the tenants to be able to rent those properties. What you don't need is the government intervening in something that is not broken fundamentally. It hasn't been broken for us. Govis had maybe a half a dozen people, maybe let's say out of a million people and maybe a hundred people that turned around and said, I've got a rogue landlord. So you don't need a sledgehammer to go and crack a nut for the whole industry. You just need to deal with that in a, as I said, a section 21A situation and say, look, these things have got to be amended and landlords in the future have got to deal with these situations. You can't just turn around and say, let's just change the whole game. Another quote here, no one likes uncertainty, not least the markets, and so we're in for a bumpy few months. Uh, however, what we do know of UK property is that it seems to be able to resist the adversity of Brexit, COVID, and rising inflation and interest rates. So perhaps the housing market will simply just raise two fingers and carry on regardless. Well, it fundamentally it's done that for as long as I can think back. And we've had successive different governments come up with different policies. And different. What you cannot change is what's in the hearts and the minds of the people. And the hearts and the minds of the people is that one day they are going to own their property. They want to have that situation. So through all the adversity, all the, all the policy changes, all the government changes, it has sustained. And maybe that is true. Maybe it is sticking two fingers at the situation and saying, well, you guys go carry on doing what you want to do. But ultimately, my wish and I, I want for myself, my, my, my family, is that one day we're going to own that own have our own property and we're going to actually, you know, have a home as opposed to being in a house. 
And I'll go back to the house and the home situation, just for those that perhaps not sort of had that benefit of my fantastic wisdom, is that the house, <laughs> the house is a house. It is something that you don't own. It'll just become somewhere where you go and come back or rent out or whatever. A home is where you actually, you know, are, are at home. The difference between a home and a house is, is quite vast. And so if you want to forever have a house, which is never yours and you can't make it comfortable, you can't make the changes, you can't change the, the wallpaper, you can't change the paint, you can't change anything in there without having the consent of your landlord, then that's going to be a house. But if you own it or you have a mortgage with, with a lender, you're going to have a home and you will be able to make the changes that you want to make. And ultimately, that's the wish that people want. So it's always the same scenario, really. I'm sure we will return to this story in the weeks to come, Joe, absolutely. Uh, let's just take a look at our final story. There's been a significant increase in the number of homes sold, uh, sorry, uh, uh, activity in the UK housing sector, uh, in the house building sector has dropped for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, when the country was in the teeth of, of course, the most onerous pandemic. Um, and the data revealed uh, for June shows that house building, which was propelling the UK's construction industry over the last two years, was the weakest performing area of the construction activity for the fourth month running in June. The housing sector posted a reading of 4.93 last month, below the 50 uh, no change mark, signaling the first drop in residential building work since May 2020. So basically what's happening is that the house builders are seeing headwinds coming their way, Joe. So they're looking at interest rates rising. They're looking at cost of materials rising. They're looking at the cost of recruiting rising. And they're looking at people's ability to afford and be able to, to, be able to afford to buy the properties they're building. And they're thinking, this doesn't look very good going into the autumn. Well, it's timely, actually, Paul, in all honesty. Um, so a number of reasons, really. One is that we are now, I mean, literally, uh, supposedly summertime. Um, some kids are broken off already and people have jetted off to their uh, villas and, and apartments in, in the uh, outer uh, places, Portugal, Spain, etc., etc. Um, and so the market has a time that normally goes quiet anyway. Um, primarily because the focus is on the children and, and, and on the family time that they're going to have. So um, I think the industry stating that it's slowing up is probably timely. Second part of that is that building material and, and other uh, components that are required are becoming scarcer because elsewhere there are problems. The, the war in Ukraine is causing problems in some parts of the world. And of course, who supports that and who sponsors that are causing the other problems that probably are, are, are underlining. So the shortage of material and so forth is actually going to slow slow things down anyway. I've spoken to a number of developers that who are buying and building and just finding it hard to accommodate and, and, and source the materials. And if they are sourcing those materials, Paul, they are coming at a much higher price. Not only are they coming at a higher price, but also the labour and the skills that they want are also equally coming at a higher price because there's such a shortage of, of good skilled labour um, and, and people that are able to get those jobs done. So I think the whole thing is a bit timely and therefore it makes good reading in the sense that, uh, you know, it's now a downturn. 
but I think it's a, it's a blip in the system, like everything else at this moment in time. We have a blip in the system with our government, we have a blip in the system with, with human resources available, materials, problems in the world and so forth. But the only thing I'm going to say, it's a summer holiday. And it was, it's timely in the sense that this time of the year normally has a, has a lull in the marketplace anyway. And so I would probably come back and see what the replies to some of those are. A, when we have a new government in, in situ and B, come September when things start to start looking because obviously the new PM, whoever is going to come back and say, well, actually, I'm going to change the way it's done. We're going to go and you know open the doors uh, for, for migrants to be able to come freely back and forward. We've done a deal with EU on the basis that Yes, we are part, part X of the Brexit, but there are now other tweaks and changes that can watch this space. I, th I think it's just timing, really. Well, they're saying residential construction is now contracting for the first time since the darkest days of lockdown 2020. For the last four months, it's been in decline, whereas every month up until then from 2020 was uh, um, growing. So there, there is a there is a real sense that, uh, that that there's going to be a tough time, and also some building companies are finding it hard to get new work. They've finished the contracts, they've built the properties, and there isn't the contracts available to sustain their work. So uh, there's quite a few people seem to be quite uh, concerned about it. Yeah, no, no, and there's every reason to be concerned about it. I'm just saying that it's it's just timely in this in in the calendar. And also timely in the sense that, you know, we've got this issue with the government uh, happening at the moment. But, you know, it won't take long before they actually start to get to pick up traction. Now, I mean, in terms of, you know, sites and developments and opportunities, that also has a backlog. I mean, I, I, I'm speaking to developers who've had planning applications in now way longer than they need to be in. Because through the pandemic, some people were starting to work from home. Some people left those jobs, some people were not operating, some governments, some local authorities were bankrupt, can't afford to pay their people because of this, that, the other. So there's a whole knock-on effect that is happening, which is actually slowing the whole process. So I'm not surprised for the last three or four months, and perhaps even the next two or three months it will do that. But everything will go into neutral in terms of values are concerned. But for fundamentally, it will come back to a drive, as I always say, it will come back for, you know, in the early part of next year or or latter part of this year when we'll start to see some more motivation towards the property market going in the, in the, in the positive direction. But for the time being, it is probably timely that uh, we can have a little recess, uh, take stock and uh, hopefully come back with some sort of vengeance. So there we are. That brings us to the end of our stories for this week. Not a lot of um, positive news this week, Joe. It was a bit of a disappointment in terms of uh, something to look forward to. It was all rather doom and gloom today. I hope that hasn't uh, spoiled everyone's uh, weekend. But uh, I suppose sometimes it's a bit like that. Yeah, absolutely. But we you know we're always positive. Remember that. Uh, yeah, we, we, we only put the positive spin. We're not here for the doom and gloom. We just share the doom and gloom to make it as as positive as possible. And the positive note you have to go out is the best form of investment you'll ever make, really, is your own home. And on that bombshell, we shall end the show today. We'll see you again next week for another Property Matters. Thanks for watching. <music>